Thank you, Stephanie. Oh, man, it's an obstacle course up here. Let me do something here. That guy's going to get ran over. You know how I preach. I am not a Baptist preacher. I love my Baptist friends, but I move a little bit. For those of you that aren't old school, uh, you won't know what I was talking about. Good morning, church. Good to see everybody. It's good to be up and in the house of God where His presence is unique when His people come together. His presence is with us individually. He's with us when two or more come together. But when His body comes together, it is a party. It's coming to Dad's house. And uh, we are the generation to have the baton in our hands right now. There's a generation that went before us who's watching us. There's a generation that's coming up after us that we are training to take our place when our job is done. But right now it's our turn. And so Jesus is calling you and I to be the salt and life, light of the world, that we preserve society. And one of the main places that we preserve society is in relationships. Life is all about relationships. And I'm not talking about the kind... Well, there are relationships in work. There's relationships with your classmates, your relationship with your coach or your teammates. There's all sorts of peripheral relationships. There's camaraderie relationships. But then there are the relationships I want to talk about today, which are the most important and the most difficult, and that would be the friends and family. And as... uh, Now, you're supposed to say amen, not uh (laughs) uh-oh. Depending on where you are at right now in your family and friends relationship, you're going to give me an amen or an uh-oh. And uh, so, but in this season of rapid restoration, which is where Jesus is, uh, what Jesus is doing right now is restoration. And he's restoring relationships. There are some significant relationships in your life right now that Jesus is busy restoring. You know, life is all about relationships. Nobody in their deathbed asks for things. They ask for people. You know, they don't ask for, you know, their, their, their favorite, you know, is, is, is my sports car parked out in the hospital parking lot? Is it out there, sweetheart? Will you look out, out, out the window? They don't care about their sports car. Oh, give me my phone. I want to watch one more TikTok video before I die. You know I mean? <laughs> people don't ask for these things when they're ready to go. They ask for their friends and family to be with them. But some people don't realize this until it's too late. Hope told me I could share this with you. Her dad did not say, I love you one time until she was 40 years old. And he was in Louisiana, we're in Ohio, and uh, he's gone to heaven now. And, uh, and so she, he, she just said that to her over the phone. And she was like, um, she didn't really know how to field it. And uh, so, because she spent her whole life learning how to honor him without allowing him to dishonor her. Right, so that's a dance, and uh, and so relationships can be really difficult. I remember when I was in the, you know, at Hallmark, and you're looking through the cards. I don't know who writes these cards, by the way. They haven't, they have no relationships because the relationships they put in the card are they exist on the Hallmark Channel, and that's about it. But they don't exist in real life. Can I hear an amen? amen. So we all gravitate to the humor section, right? Those are safe. Get a funny card.
But here's what the Bible says about relationships. In the book of Ecclesiastes, verse 4, 7 through 12, once again, I saw that nothing on earth makes sense. For example, some people don't have friends and family, friends or family, but they are never satisfied with what they own. They never stop working to get more. They should ask themselves, why am I always working to have more? Who will get what I have? Who will get what I leave behind? What a senseless and miserable life. You are better having a friend than to be all alone because then you will get more enjoyment out of what you earn. If you fall, your friend can help you up. But if you fall without having a friend nearby, you are really in trouble. If you sleep alone, you won't have anyone to keep you warm on a cold night if you're married. Someone might be... Oh. (laughs) Translation by John. Someone might be able to beat up one of you, but not both of you. As the saying goes, a rope made of three strands of cord is hard to break. Everyone wants deep, meaningful relationships. A friend who will be there with you to celebrate when you have a victory in your life and the one who will sit and weep with you and not judge you when you're going through the deepest valleys of your lives. The Bible says this in Romans 12, 15. Speaking to believers, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. He doesn't say be jealous of those who who rejoice and and uh, and avoid those who are going through suffering because it's uncomfortable. It doesn't say that. It says that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. Be happy for others when they succeed and weep with those who weep. The uh, French playwright Jacques Duval says this, a shared joy is double joy and a shared sorrow is half a sorrow. When my wife uh, talks on the phone with her Louisiana friends, she just had one, her best friend from from elementary and Middle school and high school was, uh, is here this weekend, and she was at our home last night. When my wife talks to me and I say something funny, she gives me a courtesy laugh. You know what I'm saying? You know what a courtesy laugh is, right? <laughs> yeah. But when she laughs with her friends, it's like this deep, full-bodied laugh that comes out of her that sounds different. I love hearing that laugh come out of my bride, right? It's a different kind of laugh. I love it when... I hear Josh laugh or Pastor Mark laugh or they make me laugh, you know. I mean, and like Josiah and I were sitting, my son Josiah and I were sitting on the couch uh, this, uh, this, this week and I said something that made him laugh and then he started laughing and then I started laughing because he was laughing and we just sat there and laughed and laughed and laughed, you know. Those, those kind of relationships are just priceless. However, these precious, life-giving, joyful relationships can break. And when these kind of relationships break, I mean, when you have an outing at work, you just go get another job, right? Or quit the sports team or whatever. I mean, avoid the person at school. But when these, these best friends, when these familial relationships break, it can be devastating. These are not these casual relationships. That's why they hurt so much. That is why detectives look at the spouse first. Because when you are in a vulnerable relationship where you, you, you have ch- chosen to be transparent and vulnerable, and then you're betrayed, the, 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 the hurt, the anger, the sense of betrayal uh, is devastating. And these relationships break down through all sorts of things. Offenses, betrayals, gossip is poison to relationships. So what do you do when that happens to you? How many of you, 
like I'm preaching to you already. Just raise your hands. Anybody ever experienced this before? How long have you lived? Okay, look at that. We have a teenager raising her hand. This can happen to you at four years old. It can happen to you at three years old. It can happen to you at seven years old. It can happen to you at 15 years old. It can happen to you at 50 years old. It can happen to 90 years old. Relationships are relationships. These things are, these things are painful. What do you do? What have you done when this happens to you? Do you just say, well, hey, good riddance, and just write them off? Are you getting good at that? Or do you isolate yourself and close yourself off and protect yourself? You'll never be hurt like that again. Or do you enter every relationship with a heightened level of distrust, making people prove to you that they are trustworthy? Yes, would be the answer to all that. We all do in certain measures, or sorely tempted to. But what does Jesus want you to do? I'm going to say something bold here, but it's true. This is what separates Christ followers from those who say they're following Christ. What, there, are certain, there are certain indicators that we, you and I are truly following Christ. One is our money. Jesus said so. He said, where your money is, that's where your heart is. Another one would be your direction in life, you know. Jesus wants you to go this way. You're like, yeah, but I want to go this way. I want to do this with my life. Jesus has a calling on you over here. And you fight that calling like, like um, um, Jonah. God calls him to go preach to Nineveh so they'll repent. And Jonah says, no, I'm going this way. And you don't want to do that because you'll get swallowed by some big fish and get vomited up on the shore and be completely, you know, bleached by acid. And people won't want to hang out with you because you be, look weird and you are weird and... And smell like fish. It's better just to follow Jesus. That's the point of that whole thing. And relationships are another litmus test of whether you're following Jesus or not. It is incredibly difficult to humble yourself and to attempt to reconcile a relationship, especially when you've been hurt. Or when you've hurt others and you feel shame about it. It's easier to, for us to believe in this year of restoration for God to restore our careers, our bodies, our souls, our ministries, our reputations, our finances, etc. Or it's easier for us to believe for restoration for maybe our kids and their relationships with one another or friends we have have broken relationships. But it's a, a whole lot harder when Jesus wants to talk to you about your relationships, my relationships, because we will have a part to play in them. I mean... If you've been hurt or somebody else has been hurt by you and you've just kind of learned to love each other from a distance, and just, or maybe you don't have a relationship at all, I mean, who wants to pull that, that scab off? Jesus does. Everybody, turn to your neighbor and say, let's get out of here. Now, every relationship is different. I want to say this to you. I'm going to read what I wrote because it's important. Every relationship is different. There are different degrees of hurt, and they can be complicated and, and to restore, and relationships take wisdom. They're not all the same. So I'm not going to make a blanket statement or use the pulpit to dictate to you who you must reconcile with or what your part is to play in it. That is between you and the Lord. But I do want to share with you what the Bible says about this and the blessings that come if you will follow the Lord in this way. 
And what I do know is from my own life and from the lives of many that I know here and from the Bible itself, that when you will humble yourself and follow the Lord and the restoration of relationships in your, in your life, your life will have double the joy and half the sorrow. And the Lord will get busy restoring those relationships. And I have found that many of those that I thought were broken forever have become the most priceless, precious relationships in my life. How many of you have experienced that before? Right? Because you fight through it. And you are better for it. And you've been through stuff together. You've hurt each other and you've forgiven each other. There's a deeper mercy, there's a deeper transparency, there's a deeper intimacy, there's a deeper respect and honor that takes place. There are two examples of this in the Bible that are the best examples I could find that I want to hit on today. And one of them has to do with friends, the other one has to do with family. So I'm going to start with family and that's the life of Joseph. So I'm going to expedite the life of Joseph for you here. Joseph was one of uh, uh, 12 and 11 brothers. They ended up being the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, Joseph was the uh, second youngest, uh, Benjamin the youngest. And Joseph, whose dad was Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, no, Jacob, he, uh, uh, Joseph was his favorite. You know, parents will tell you they don't have a favorite, but they do. I don't, but I know many parents that do. You always tell your kids, oh, no, I don't have any favorites. Yeah, there's one. No, I'm kidding. But Joseph was Jacob's favorite. And it's right there in the Bible. Joseph has a couple dreams God gave to him that one day his brothers and his mom and dad are all going to bow down to him. So they get really annoyed with him. And he should have kept those to himself, by the way. And so, they're, so they were out uh, taking care of their dad's sheep. And Joseph uh, was sent by his dad to go out and find him. They said, here comes our little brother. What a brat. And so what they decided to do was kill him. But Reuben, the oldest son, said, we cannot kill him. Just throw him in this pit, and we'll talk about it. So they throw him into this pit. And he's sitting down there in the pit, and his brothers are up there eating, and they're talking about what to do with their little brother. There, there came a, a band of traders that were traveling with their camels and their sheep, and they were coming by, and they said, let's trade them to these, uh, to these um, traders and sell them to these traders. So they sold him into slavery. And so now he's gone. So they, they said, what are we going to tell Dad? Well, they get his coat. They get a kid, uh, a little, not a kid, a, a goat, a baby goat called a kid. And they kill the kid, the goat, the baby goat kid. And then they get his blood, his, 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 his coat of many colors that his dad made for him. It's a special coat. Probably got it for Christmas. And they dip it in the blood. Then they come home and they tell dad, oh my gosh, we found this coat, but we don't know where he is. He clearly has been eaten by an animal. And so that, that was the story. And so now the dad's grieving the death of his son and the sons have lied and said that th- their brother died. It's pretty bad, isn't it? I mean, your brothers and sisters haven't done that to you yet, have they? No, I mean, they can be pretty bad, but come on. So, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. My, one of my sons caught my attention and is pointing at the other son. So I, yeah, he's like, you don't know. I haven't told you about it yet, dad, but when we get home, no. Anyway, so, okay, now I'm going to start fighting. Great. Look what I started. All right. So he gets sold into slavery. And then he ends up at Potiphar's household, who was the captain of the guard of Pharaoh's army, uh, Pharaoh's house guard and uh, his secret service. And so Pharaoh, the, obviously the, the greatest, most powerful man on the planet in the, uh, in the uh, region or in the uh, regime of Egypt. And so 
Pharaoh takes him in. Joseph was so excellent, so faithful, uh, so skillful at what he did that Pharaoh made him head over all of his household. That's pretty incredible. This is part of the story, which we'll get to, but you've got to remember that. Well, I'll just say it to you. As you go through suffering, and I'm bound three quarters of the way down to my sermon now, so Chris, just hang in there. As you go through suffering, the way you suffer is the way you're going to be blessed. You don't have to find it, Chris. Don't worry about it. I'm jumping. If you will walk through your suffering well, God will help you find purpose in the pain. If you don't do that, the pain will suck you under. And you'll be good for nobody. There is no way that Joseph, that Potiphar would have made Joseph the head of his entire household if Joseph was a pout mouth, sit sour, soak, wham, wham, look what my brothers did to me. And he had every right to do that because that's pretty bad. But clearly, he kept his composure. And there's a there's a phrase, there's a key to this. There's a phrase that goes all the way through Joseph's story. And God was with him. God was with him in the pit. God was with him when Pharaoh's wife wanted to have sex with Joseph. And Joseph said, no. And she kept bugging him. And he said, no, I can't do this. And listen to what he said. I cannot do this sin against God. He had not gotten bitter at God. He's not saying, God, how come you let me get thrown into a pit? God, how come you let me get thrown into, uh, sold into slavery? God, why did you do this, right? If he was in that posture, there's no way he could have been promoted. Because he's all bound up in his own issues. And then he gets com- uh, falsely accused of rape. And then he gets thrown into prison. Now he's an innocent man in prison. But in prison... He was, had such an, he was such an excellent man, such a faithful person, that the warden made him overseer of the entire prison. Again, if Joseph had a bad attitude, I'm going to say this straight out. Your bad attitude can block the blessings of God in your life. There's no way if Joseph went to prison and he's complaining about being there as an innocent man. Oh, I got accused of rape, and I didn't do it. I probably would, but Joseph didn't. I mean, come on. This is pretty intense. You're in prison, and you're innocent, accused of rape. Your brothers had sold you into slavery. But no, wherever he was, he maintained an excellent spirit about him because of his conscience toward God. And it says God was with him. God was with him in the pit. God was with him in prison. But let me tell you this. I've seen this. I've learned this over 40 years of ministry. There are people that can be in a church service that's flowing with the power of God. One is sitting there doing this and getting nothing. You know, they got this going on. Somebody offended me. Somebody hurt me. I don't like their, the pastor's style. I don't like the version of the Bible he's using. All this petty stuff, right? And then there's a person sitting next to him who's also been through the same kind of trials, and yet they have kept their composure because they stay connected to God. And they sit in that same service and they're getting hammered by the Holy Spirit. 
They're getting toasted by the presence of God. It's like, what's the difference? Right here and right here. What's in your head, what's in your heart. We either block the blessings of God flowing to you or you'll be wide open and you'll receive from God. Because you have to receive from God when you're in a pit. You have to receive from God when you're in a prison. And so then what happens? Because of his excellence, and one night he gets promoted to be the prime minister of Egypt because he was able to interpret dreams. And then when Pharaoh had this dream and Daniel interpret, or uh, Joseph interpreted it, he then gave Pharaoh wisdom on what to do about the dream. And Pharaoh's like, this guy, there's nobody like this guy. But there's no way that Joseph would have been able to interpret dreams and have words of wisdom for the most powerful man on the planet if he was all caught up in his own pain and suffering and blaming God and shaming God and blaming everybody else and being a victim. Am I preaching to somebody yet today? Anybody out there huh? online? You guys, anybody? I'm here to help you, by the way, okay? Here's evidence that Joseph did not give in to bitterness, but partnered with God in his suffering. After a number of years, he had a couple of kids. It's actual children, not baby goats. And listen to what he says. Listen to this. This is so important. Remember the phrase I said that God spoke to me at the beginning of the series, healed people, pain... Hurt people hurt people. We've all heard that. But healed people heal people. God will heal you so you can heal others. And it doesn't have to be a complete healing. You can just be healed a little bit and turn around and say, Hey, look, I'm going through what you're going through. I've been through what you're going through. Let me tell you how I'm getting through it. Restored people can restore people. Bitter people can't restore people. Listen to what Joseph says. Before the years of famine came, this is Genesis 41, 50, and 52, two sons were born to Joseph. I'm not going to name them, except this one. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Not like he can't remember their names. But I've asked you this before, like last time I preached, have you ever been through pain and suffering so bad you don't think you're ever not going to feel the weight of it for the rest of your life and then god it starts healing and restoring you and a number of years down the road you're telling somebody about it and it's like a distant memory and the emotional weight of it is not sucking you under anymore that's god that's what god did with joseph to the point where he names his son god has made me forget and listen to what he named his second son, and this is really important. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful. Everybody say this last phrase out loud. In the land of my suffering. The grass is not greener on the other side. If your grass isn't green, you might just need to water your lawn. You trade, you trade partners, all you did was trade in Samsonite for another brand of luggage. Everybody's got baggage. Jump from this job to that job, from this church to that church, to this relationship to that relationship, because you think it's going to be better over there. It won't be. You know why? Because you're going. You'll be there when you get there. 
If you're going to have healthy relationships, you've got to get healed. Then you can bring healing. I was talking to somebody just this, just yesterday who wants me to hate somebody because he hates them because they did them wrong. And I'm like, my, our relationship can't be based on hating the same people. I have learned I'm not going to take up other people's offenses. That will poison your heart. There's enough offenses of your own. You don't need to be taken on others too. There's enough people that are going to do you wrong that you're going to have to get over rather than taking offense of somebody you love because somebody hurt them. It's so tempting, isn't it? Especially when it's your kids or your spouse. Come on. There's all sorts of movies made about that. And we love it when they end up, you know, kicking the person off a skyscraper at the end of the movie. Yeah, they deserved it. Okay, it's great to let your flesh enjoy entertainment movies, but you can't do that. You can't do that. Forgetful and fruitful. God bless them in the land of his suffering. This is something I've learned. This is the way, I, this is the way I've coined it for myself. I redeem the places and the faces where you've been hurt. I redeem the places, and I didn't put faces, but it works. I've redeemed the, So give me, I'll give you an example. A friend of mine, a missionary, our, for our mission, one of our missionaries, uh, Rick Zachary, a missionary in the Middle East and Southeast Asia. He said... Uh, he came out and visited, he preached here, and then we were out sitting on top of uh, Iron Mountain, having a little chat overlooking San Diego, and he said, yeah, uh, Bev is back home in her hometown, uh, ministering, or taking care of her dad, because he's, he's sick, and he's old. And that town has a lot of bad memories. She doesn't like being there, every day is a drag for her, it's hard, everywhere you go, you know, whether it's the coffee shop or whether it's the, the, the general store or whether it's wherever it is, you know, there's a lot of bad memories from her childhood, blah, 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 blah. And he's going on, 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 on. I said, I said, hey, why don't you tell her to redeem her town? And he said, what do you mean? I said, look, there's not a Starbucks in San Diego where I have not had a negative encounter with somebody after 40 years of ministry. Panera's, Starbucks, all sorts of places around San Diego, when you're in a relational industry and relationships are your product, you're going to have some pain, right? It's easier, easier to be in business when money's the bottom line, right? And you, you don't get along with somebody, especially if you're the employer, you're just kind of like, let them go and have somebody else you like better, right? Or you can switch jobs and go into a different environment. But in church, it's family for better or for worse. And you get into each other's lives. You get into each other's hearts. And so that's why it can hurt more in church. You're expecting, you're expecting more out of church. You're hoping that your church is better than the best bar in town, right? Where you walk in, hey, you know, and buy you a beer. And, and the bartender is the pastor. And you pour out all your heart, you know. And the person sitting next to you is your, it's your congregation. And you're drinking and getting drunk. Those are the spirits. It's, it's actually the fabrication of a church. And, you know... Every once in a while, a bar fight, you know, breaks out. But for the most part, everybody's getting along. They're going to have a good time, you know. So you, you say, well, church should be at least as good as a bar, right? You go to church and people, hey, it's good to see you, right? And everybody's getting along. You're filled with the Spirit and you get, you get counsel and all that, right? It's supposed to be a safe place. And that, when you get hurt there, see, there are the unchurched. Then there are people I call the de-churched. Those who have been hurt and they're, they're not in church anymore. And there's a reason for it. They're in pain. They're suffering. And so what I do is I go to these places and I purposely have positive experiences. I redeem those places. 
I'm not going to be ripped off. I'm not going to be robbed of that Starbucks over there because, you know, I met with so-and-so and got hurt and it was a bad. No, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to order my favorite drink. I'm going to invite somebody I like and we're going to sit down and we're going to have a good time. I'm going to redeem that place. I'm serious. I do that. I'm not going to get robbed. This is what, this is what God did with Joseph. He, he blessed him in the land of his suffering. It takes humility and courage to stay and deal. Anybody can run, but it takes character to stay and deal. And God will bless you there. This is why Jesus tells us to love our enemies, bless those who curse us, and do good to those who hate us. He's trying to lead us out of victimhood and into victory and down the path of freedom and restoration that you and I need so desperately. So by the time God brought Joseph's brothers around, he brought Joseph around enough to be able to forgive his brothers. It wasn't easy still. Because look, it has been 20 years since Joseph saw his brothers. God had done a good amount of restoration, right? Named his two sons. God made me forget. And God has blessed me here in the land of my suffering. God has done such a work. Sometimes you can feel so healed until you see that person. Right? Huh? Am I preaching to anybody? Huh? It's like, man, I thought I was a little bit farther than this, right? You feel, you feel that come up, you see their face, you see their name, <laughs> people squirm in their seats. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so here's Joseph. He's good. He has forgotten about it all. And then God, you know, Joseph was done with it, but God wasn't. You might think you're done with it. But God's not. Right? And all of a sudden, there they are. So his brothers come up to him. And he sees, he sees them coming. And he's the, he's the prime minister of Egypt. And they're suffering. I mean, I mean, in poverty. Like, there's a famine throughout the land, if you know the story. Famine throughout the land. So now his brothers are in need. And he now is the one who's blessed, and his brothers, he threw them into a pit, sold them into slavery, ends up being thrown into prison, are now coming to him for help. Oh, I don't think so. Huh? For a minute. And you know what's interesting? He struggled. It's okay to struggle. You read this, but there's like two or three chapters where he's messing with them, man. I mean, he's like, I can, there, you read that story and he's like, he's wrestling with it, man. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to get into all the stuff he did. You can read it yourself, but he didn't forgive him right away. He was restored enough to wrestle with it. He, he was like, oh my gosh, I thought this was in my past. Here it is in my face. I didn't, I didn't even know it was coming. Like the holidays, right? Kind of, you know those are coming, but like who's going to show up? Mm-hmm. 
But he finally got a hold of himself. And did the right thing. I, I, I pray for you and for me that we will finally get a hold of ourselves and do the right thing. Because that's where the blessing of God will be. And look what happened. Genesis 45, 5-8. Don't worry or blame yourselves for what you did. Oh, healing is so underrated. <laughs> healing of the soul is so good. Isn't it, Mark? You preached on that last week. Restore my soul. Don't worry or blame yourselves for what God did. They're like, really? God is the one who sent me ahead of you to save lives. There's already been a famine two years. In five more years, no one will plow fields or harvest grain. But God sent me on ahead of you to keep your families alive and to save you in this wonderful way. After all, you weren't really the ones who sent me here. It was God. He made me the highest official in the king's court and placed me over all of Egypt. Because this is so big, you got to get this. Because Joseph... In his suffering, maintained his intimacy with God all the way through his suffering. Didn't blame God. Stayed with God. Listened to God. Walked with God. Because of that, he was able to have God's 30,000 foot perspective of the whole thing. So he didn't get caught up in the minutia of what you did to me and what you didn't do for me. And you're down here on this flesh level. Where all Satan's demons are, and like, yeah, get him, get him. They're speaking in your ear. They're, right? They're taking advantage of your flesh. That's what fasting's for, by the way. We're in the middle of a fast. Fasting is spiritual chiropractic, right? It's like you're getting that chiropractic adjustment in your spirit. You're, you're connecting to God. You're not eating, you're worshiping. You're not eating, you're reading the word. You're not eating, you're seeking God. He's speaking to you. You get in his perspective, you're getting his heart, and he'll bring up these relationships in your life, these faces and these places, and he'll give you assignments, what I want you to do in this situation. And you're fasting and you're humbling yourself and say, whatever you want, Lord. And he says, yeah, Uncle Fred, you say, no, Lord, <laughs> right? And you get that wrestling match. Oh, my gosh, no, yeah. Send him, you know, a gift. You know what he likes? He likes that beef jerky, that, that, the hot beef jerky. Get him some beef jerky and send it to him. He says, no, Lord, I'm not ever, I'm going to turn him into beef jerky you know you get that wrestling match that but you're wrestling with god in your suffering and when you come through it and you say yes so you finally yield and just let him win (sighs) and you send the beef jerky and uncle fred gets this in the mail like what's this and it's from you and it's like is this some kind of a trick right and and he calls you and you're different I'm telling you, when I've done this, when I've obeyed the Lord and I've blessed somebody who has cursed me, I do something for them. They've hurt me and I bless them. I'm telling you what happens. No matter what happens on that end, what happens on this end is everything. I have, the first time I did that, I felt my, I didn't realize this was going to happen. You don't realize you're a victim until you obey the Lord. Then when you obey him and bless those who curse you, what happened to me? was all of a sudden I walked away feeling completely healed and victorious and on top and in charge and in control. I didn't realize I was being controlled and sucked under and victimized by the pain and suffering that that person had caused me. You're still tethered to them through unforgiveness and bitterness. When you forgive them and you even bless them, that'll confuse them like, uh, 
And then God will start working on them. And so often, man, it'll break them. And they come, oh, I'm so sorry, I was wrong too, right? Satan hates that. Satan hates that. Satan is the destroyer. He's out ripping relationships apart. Jesus is the restorer, but he needs your partnership. And he will give you something to do in those relationships. Okay, and I'm going to close with Job. That was Joseph. I only have a few minutes left, so I'm going to do this, and then we're going to come to the Holy Spirit and let him tell us what he wants us to do and where he wants us to do it. So it's not time to leave or go to the bathroom. Just stay right where you are. Okay. So Job's story. That was, that was family. Here's friends. Job suffered. I won't tell you his whole story, but it was worse than any story in the Bible besides Jesus being tortured and hung on a cross. He has three friends come to console him, and all they did for, how many chapters was that? I wrote it down here. It was for 35 chapters they told Job he was the problem, and that God was judging him because of his sin. Uh, And Job defends himself. I'm going to talk about Job first. Job defends himself because he had wrong theology. You may as well. This was his theology. Good things don't, bad things don't happen to good people. That's what Job believed. His, his friends kept saying, this would not be happening to you if you had not sinned. Come on, Job, confess. Right? They had him, in the, they had him in, the, in, the, in the room with the bright light in his face, right? Confess, Job, confess, and God will heal you. And Job's saying, no, I'm righteous. I've never done anything wrong. I am a man of pure hands. And, and so he's the comp- confessing his self-righteousness. And so when God confronts Job... This is what he says. He he confronts Job on his self-righteousness. Don't get mad at God when you haven't done anything wrong and you still suffer. Look what the Bible says. Job didn't know this scripture because it hadn't been written yet. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. The righteous. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But, everybody say but. Love the butts in the Bible, especially the big butts like this one. But there are some butts that are bigger than others, and this is a big one. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. Therefore, God appears to Job. When God appears to you, whether it's him or whether it's his presence or whether it's his word or whether somehow God reveals himself to you, the results are always the same. Whatever you are believing, it all gets fixed. Parts, yeah, this part's true. This part is not true. You got this right. You got that wrong. It all happens like in an instantaneous moment. He just adjusts you. You see him. You're like, ah. And all of what you thought doesn't matter anymore. And this is what happened to Job. He got, he got the speech. He said, God appears and says, Job, stand there like a man. And I'm going to talk to you. And Job's like, no, 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 I got it, I got it. No, he goes, no, 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 you're going to get three chapters of this, right? Teenagers, children, you know, when mom or dad, you're about to get the speech. No, I got it, I got it. No, no, you're going to hear it. You're going to hear the whole thing. Just brace yourself, because here it comes, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what's happening between God and Job. 
And then when God gets done telling Job the way the cow ate the cabbage, here's what Job says. Job 42, 5 and 6. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said. (laughs) Isn't that great? Am I the only one to join this? I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. That's what my kids do after the speech. (laughs) In my wildest dreams, right? Yeah. You're right, Dad. You're always right. But Job's friends uh, did worse. They accused God of judging Job for his sins when God didn't. The Bible is very clear that sometimes sins do lead to suffering, but not in this case. And if they had bothered to seek God, maybe they would have found out what was really going on in the situation, and they would have been better friends to Job. So God has something to say, and here's, here's where we're going to close it up. This, this big, fat response from God is so full of restoration tools in here. Watch this. Job 42, 7 through 17. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. Man, I can't wait till we get to heaven and all the mockers and critics meet God and they find out they weren't as wise as they thought they were. If they don't get saved beforehand, which is my greatest hope, but my second hope is the other. So take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer burnt offerings for yourselves. That's repentance. That's their part. My servant Job will pray for you. That's Job's part, and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. Job's restoration had begun, right? Job's restoration had begun. Job and God had their meeting. They had their, right? And Job was like, I'm so sorry. I screwed up. Ah." And Job, God said, okay, all right. You're starting to get right. You're starting to be restored. You're getting on my page. Okay, now I'm going to use you to help restore your friends. Heal people. Heal people. You see that? God starts with you, moves you along a little bit, and said, okay, now I want you to deal with this situation because you're healthier. You know, some of you, some, some of you, all of you, all of us, you know when it's time not to make that phone call, right? Because you're not right yet, right? Okay, pastor, I'll do this, but not today because I still need to meet with God and get right because if I make that phone call right now, it's not going to go well, because I'm not well. Anybody? All right, okay. So God will move you along, and then he's going to give you an assignment. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve, for you have not spoken accurately about me, as my servant Job has. That's mercy. Then these guys did as the Lord commanded them. See what I just did there? These guys. That's how you read the Bible. When you go through names like that, just say these guys. Did as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. They all did their part. Job did his part. His friends did their part. And now watch. Everybody say this last, this next phrase, verse 10 with me. When Job prayed for his friends. Say it again. When Job prayed for his friends. Cause and effect here. You can live in bitterness and suffering and lack blessings, or you can do this other plan. When Job prayed for his friends, the ones who poured salt in his wound, the one who made his suffering 
a thousand times worse because of the way they tried to comfort him. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. There's restoration. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Remember I've taught you? The Bible says the biblical restoration is two, four, five, or seven times what it was before. And this is the way it will be in your relationships too. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored all of his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much. Then all his brothers and sisters and former friends came and feasted with him in his home. And they could, don't you guys want this? And they consoled him and comforted him because of all the trials the Lord had brought against him. And each of them brought him a gift of money. Don't you want that? And a gold ring. You want a gold ring? So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep. Don't you want 14,000 sheep? 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen gotta have those i live in ramona and 1000 female donkeys he also gave job seven more sons and three more daughters he named his first daughter jemima which i wouldn't do but the second keziah and the third karen there's the first karen in the bible i'm sorry karen it's with an e hapuk and all the land no women were as lovely as the daughters of Job, and their father put them in his will along with their brothers. Job lived 140 years after that. There's life after your suffering. So often we think our suffering is going to last forever, and it doesn't. There's life after your suffering. I'm going to have to listen to the sermon again. And again and again, when I'm going through it, got to come back to it. When I'm going through suffering. And all the land, no will. And the father, no, no. Job, no, no. Living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died, an old man who had lived a long life. You see, back to Joseph, if he had not chosen to obey the lord and forgive his brothers his sons would not have grown up with their cousins or their aunts and uncles or known their grandfather their grandmother all these relationships are sacrificed on the altar of your bitterness yet if we would be real christians and humble ourselves And ask the Lord, what do you want me to do in this relationship? Now listen, there's some relationships he won't want you to touch. Because an abuser ought not be invited back into your life. But he will tell you to forgive him for you. I talked to somebody just this week. I was shocked. It's one of the restoration stories that have already started happening this year. I thought if this ever happens, it'll be years down the road. I was was with this person this week. And they said to me, I have forgiven so-and-so. I'm not mad at him. I don't hate him. And I was like, really? Here I'm fasting and praying for restoration. And the Lord's having me preach on relational restoration this Sunday. And this week I'm with somebody who told me that they are, their, their restoration has already progressed like rapidly and waited. I was, I was shocked, right? You know, you pray for something that happens, you go, I can't believe it, right? But this person had done a lot of work within themselves to come to the place where they then could forgive now whether that relationship will be restored 
And she's not like inviting this person back into the intimacy of her life yet. But at least she has begun with her. She's, this is what she said. This is why I brought that up. She said, um, it's more for me than for him. You can't live like that. You can't live healthy like that, unhealthy like that. You, you can't live. The Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence. Guard it, because out of it flow the issues of your life. You've got to guard it from bitterness, resentment. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be offended. It's just going to happen. What do you do with it? That's the question. So, there are some relationships that you shouldn't touch. But I think we would all, if we were honest, would agree that there are relationships in our lives right now that we need to tend to. And that if we would have the courage to listen to the Lord, He would give us something to do in that relationship that can move it toward healing and restoration. The question is, are you willing to do it? So let's come to the Holy Spirit together. Holy Spirit, as your people and I, as your people, as we come to you right now. First, I want to pray for your personal restoration. Lord, I ask that you would bring up into the hearts and minds of those in our online community. Um, I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you bring up into our hearts and minds what it is you would have us do for our own personal restoration in our lives now look this could be how much social media you're consuming and melting your brain it could be the bible says abstain from fleshly lust that war against your soul there are things you're involved in that are harming your soul your emotional life your mental life it could be things you're doing that are hurting your physical body it could be something between you and the lord that you need spiritual restoration. Whatever the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to ask Him to reveal it first. Holy Spirit, would you bring up what needs to be brought up for our personal restoration? Now ask Him, say, Lord, what would you have me do in that situation. I'm sure that he's talking to some of us about forgiving somebody. Just let him go. Let it go. I will cause you to forget. And I will bless you in the land of your suffering if you allow me. But you have to let go. Let go of the injustice. Let me handle it. I hear the Lord saying. I can handle it. You can't. Let me have it. Trust me. Now ask the Lord what he would have you do 
in any relationship he wants to bring up into your heart or your mind let it come up let the holy spirit do this and then ask him what do you want me to do in this situation it could be nothing or it could be something but let's see what he'll say to you a thought oppression something will come up in your heart or your mind to that it may not necessarily be with someone else but it could be with yourself I know that I've struggled a lot of uh, yeah I'll, I'll forgive people but do I forgive myself you have to a lot of times the problems that I have in the relationships around me have a lot to do with how I see myself positionally in, in God and how much maybe unforgiveness or not a lot of grace for myself. And so maybe the restoration that God is doing in you, you might be in here. And just like, well, you, you can extend it. That love is not just for other people. That love, that grace, that mercy, that forgiveness is also for you. That's right. That's good, Josh. Confess Jesus Christ 
though a man let's lift it up my hope is in you God I am steadfast I will not be moved I may good never shaken oh my hope is in you my hope's in you cause my hope is in you God I am steadfast I will not be moved I'm good never shaken oh my hope is in you He's bringing hope to the hopeless giving his heart the broken, sharing his home with the orphan. He is the joy, he is my joy, he is the hope of the nations. The Father's heart we're embracing, he is the song we're declaring. He is the joy, he is the joy, he's bringing hope to the hopeless, giving his heart to the broken, sharing his home with the orphan. He is the joy, He is my joy, He is the hope of the nations, the Father's heart we're embracing, He is the song we're declaring, He is the joy, He is the joy. thanks to Jesus, the restorer, huh? I'm sorry, I, ju- I jumped back there too late. I was caught up over here. And I was like, oh! You were caught up in his presence. Doing multiple things today. That's my favorite. I'm going to call the prayer teams up. Some of you are going to need some prayer around this topic today. And um, this will be a boost for you. You come up for the prayer, these prayer teams. God may give you a prophetic word. Maybe you didn't hear anything or see anything or feel anything during that response time. Come up. Let, let the process continue. And you might get a prophetic word or God may do something special for you up in these prayer teams. Also for physical healing. 
uh, deliverance from oppression, depression, all sorts of things that God can do for you when you come up to these prayer teams. So, well, God bless you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness in our lives. Thank you for being with us and faithful when we are not. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. And thank you for your favor that is upon us as your people. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.